the Canadian Military History Podcast. Provided by the Royal Regiment of Canada. Welcome to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. To start off today's episode, I want to have a quick look at iTunes and see what's going on there. So what I did, I clicked on Government and Organizations. I went to Podcast first, and then I clicked on Government and Organizations. And then what happened? I see Canadian Military History Podcast is right there in the top 10. I can't believe it. I didn't even have to search for it this time. I didn't have to type any search criteria. I suppose that comes from you, the good listener, downloading my episodes and checking things out. Speaking about iTunes, I'm going to check my iTunes reviews. I got a new review from the 21st of October. It's actually a little bit old, but anyhow, it's it's new to the podcast. I haven't spoken about it yet. And I got five out of five stars from Horse Guard. I think I know who that is. And he says, well done and congratulations on an excellent idea. Though history, the methods in which we capture our military heritage and stories have changed, but the colorful depth of these have not. You have brought our military stories to life through this wonderful new format. I look forward to an episode every week. So that comment, I believe, was from my former command team partner, Colonel James Claggett, formerly of the Governor General's Horse Guards and formerly of 32 Brigade. Thank you. What iTunes reviews do... You give me a review, and then that makes it easier to find and locate that podcast. So people that perhaps would not find it regularly would be able to find it a little bit quicker. Not only your downloads, downloading it gets a little bit of attention on iTunes, but also uh, putting in a rating. So please take some time and put in a rating and a review if you wouldn't mind. That'd be fantastic. That'd be really helpful. Now, perhaps you're not an iPhone listener, or you're not a user of an iPhone or iTunes, and you do want to listen. Obviously, if you're listening, you would have already figured this out, but maybe you want to listen on your BlackBerry instead of on your desktop. On your BlackBerry, you'll see there's a little feature called Social Feeds. If you click on Social Feeds, the RSS feed link is located in the introductory text of the Canadian Military History Podcast main page. If you find that page, you can see there's a link that says RSS Feed. That RSS feed, you just copy that straight into your BlackBerry and you can listen off your BlackBerry. Hopefully it's the same for Androids and any other platform. I don't have the ability to check those out, but if I do find a way to check those out, I will. And uh, you can still always listen right off your internet browser. Best way to do it also if you're listening on iTunes is download the episode by clicking and holding over the episode title when it uploads into your, or sorry, when it downloads into your iTunes list then hold the button over until until you see on the go once you see on the go then click that on the go and it downloads straight into your iphone and you don't have to be in a wi-fi hotspot and you don't have to burn your data plan on your iphone the next thing i want to look at is a donation from paypal that i've received i see here a note from warrant officer mike case of the lawrence scotts and he says sir i've listened to them all as a commuter it makes it a lot easier my favorite was stan edgerton my great uncle was a tour scot in world war ii and i wonder if they knew each other anyways keep him coming warrant officer mike case c company lawrence scotts 
Peel, Dufferin, and Halton Regiment. Well, thank you very much, Mike, for your generous donation. I really appreciate every little bit that helps. I also encountered another listener who happened to grow up with Stan Edgerton as a member, not as a member of his family, but as a friend of the family. My own boss, Sergeant Jeff Nolan from York Regional Police, he told me that he grew up watching Stan Edgerton doing pole vaulting as a senior citizen. So that was that was quite a unique connection to bring it around full circle. I attended the Remembrance Day service. Today is the 10th of November. 2013. I didn't mention that. I attended the Remembrance Day service at York Regional Police 3 District headquarters in Sutton, and I was very surprised to hear that Eric Jolliffe, Chief Eric Jolliffe of York Regional Police, mentioned the podcast during his uh, dissertation during the Remembrance Day service. It was very nice to be remarked on in that way, and hopefully that helps get the message out a little bit more. There is a link on wirep.ca that links directly to the podcast so hopefully that's another source where people can find it if you do have a website and you want to link to my site i would really appreciate it that's fantastic any way to get the message out any way to get some new guests some new listeners i'm all for it also uh something happened to me this week just a little little bit of personal trivia i decided to do some renovations in my laundry room and uh, i wanted to bring my washer a little bit closer to the wall so we went to Lowe's and Home Depot and plumbing supply stores. We couldn't find hoses that had a 90 degree bend on it just to bring the washer closer to the wall a tiny little bit. Now, why am I talking about this? This isn't the Canadian Laundry Podcast. It's a military history podcast. But nevertheless, I, I did a quick search on the internet to find those specific hoses with a 90 degree elbow built into it. And where did I find it? I found it on Amazon. So when I decided that there was no other way for me to buy these hoses, because I do like to support my uh, local businesses here in, in the city of Barrie, when I found out that there was nowhere else to get that 90 degree elbow laundry machine hose other than from Amazon, well, what did I do? Obviously, I went to the Canadian Military History Podcast homepage, and from there I accessed my own Amazon link. The next day, the hoses showed up, and I'm going to be paying myself. But nevertheless, I, I ended up supporting my own website and getting the job done of doing a bit of renovation in the laundry room. So don't just think about books and videos and toys and games if you're looking for Amazon. Amazon has a lot of great products, and any purchase you make on Amazon goes into directly supporting the maintenance and production of the podcast. So now I've got all the maintenance done. Let's get on to today's episode. Today's episode is with Lieutenant Ryerson Maybe. Lieutenant Maybe is a member of the Queen's York Rangers out of Fort York Armory, and they also have an armory in Aurora. The Queen's York Rangers are the only unit that operates in York Region, which is north of Toronto, and they've been a long-standing regiment in Canada's history. Arguably the oldest regiment in Canada. However, it's kind of hard to say because on one hand, they predate Canadian history. So it does end up making some good mess conversation to determine who is the oldest regiment and how you come about saying that this unit is the oldest or this un this other unit is the oldest. And uh, hopefully if I can get some guests from the other unit, I know you're listening, we can start that debate perhaps. Lieutenant maybe started off as an NCM and he started off in the mid-1990s. He is well known as being a recruit basic training instructor at our various training centers in Ontario, like Meaford and Petawawa, 
uh, always present at any collective training event run by 32 Brigade. He's visible all the time. He's always busy and out there. He has deployed. He's done uh, operations overseas in the former Yugoslavia and also in Afghanistan. Most recently, as a warrant officer, he decided to take his commission as a lieutenant in the Queen's York Rangers and pursue the remainder of his career as a commissioned officer. So here's my interview with Lieutenant Ryerson Maybe. Lieutenant Maybe, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You and I met while we were teaching recruit basic training at Fort York Armory during the late 1990s. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that sounds right. Teaching recruits has always been very fun and uh, rewarding. It's a great opportunity to both interact with uh, brand new soldiers and sort of get a fresh perspective on an institution that you're a part of, and also to interact with other more experienced soldiers and benefit from that interaction as well. Yeah, I've always enjoyed group basic training and, and the teaching that goes with that. Let's get right into the questions, the four questions here, and into the format of the podcast. So why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces? In high school, I had a bit of a, a negative social experience. I was raised on Arthurian legends, and I guess I was looking for a place where I could find people that shared the same sorts of values that I did. And I thought that the Army might be the place to go, and it turned out that I was right. What do you think the world was like when you joined? Well, it's pretty different from what it is today. The country was certainly different. Uh, the, the big focus sort of internationally at the time, of course, was Bosnia and the uh, former Yugoslavia, the beginning of the sort of the, the era of failed states. So there was a lot of media attention around that, which I absorbed. I was kind of addicted to uh, the CBC and, and basically any news source I could find about uh, Canada's operations in the former Yugoslavia. There was a lot less technology around People were still a little more old-fashioned, I guess. There was, there, cell phones weren't really common, and uh, the, the Internet didn't really factor into most people's existences or lives. Yeah, I don't even know how my predecessors got any of their work done without something as basic as email. It just blows my mind. Yeah, it is, uh, it is kind of astonishing. I, I've often said, actually, that email is the death of the Army because uh, while it's a great tool, we're not nearly as ruthless with it as we should be in terms of enforcing a sort of a, a standard of communication. We have it for radios, because we have the, uh, the RTP manual, but uh, we don't have it for email. And so I think a lot of people end up transmitting uh, irrelevant data over email, and then it sort of conditions everybody to kind of skim when they should actually be paying deeper attention. Whereas a phone call or a personal conversation is much more memorable. You also had to pay attention when you used those old round-trip memorandums because they were very small and you never knew where they were going to land after you sent them away. I don't know if you had the joy of using the old round-trip memorandums, the three sheets, the carbon paper. I do remember those, yeah. I didn't make it into a position of authority until after email had sort of taken over. I didn't have to use them often, but I, I remember seeing them around for sure. Now, you've already touched a little bit on what you were like when you joined. Can you fill in some more of the blanks? You talked about looking for something that shared your values. Anything else about what you were like when you joined? Uh, naive. I was, I was young. I was 17, 18, year, 18 years old when I finally started. I was a, a student athlete from high school. wasn't a terribly good student. I wanted to do something that neither of my parents approved of and sort of strike out on my own and really make an adult decision. That was joining the Army. And then I, I guess to some of the sort of Arthurian legend pieces is a lot of the people that, I, that were in my social circle and my age group in high school didn't have the sort of integrity that I was looking for out of people that I surrounded myself with. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about the Army, and which I learned very quickly, was that if someone had an issue with the way you had done something or the way you were performing or what you'd said, uh, they generally told you right away. 
<laughs> sometimes they were very tactful, and most of the time they were not. Uh, but it didn't mean that they thought that you were a terrible person. It just they were pointing out your fault, and you just had to fix it and move on, or mitigate it and move on. Yeah, the old fault remedy system. <laughs> yeah. So that, um, I, I thoroughly appreciated that, and it, to, to be honest, I think that's one of the things that's kept me around for as long as I have, because I've certainly had, over the course of my career, disagreements with, with people where I think if you saw that from the outside and weren't in the military, you would automatically assume that we uh, either hated each other or had like some sort of intense dislike. But the truth of the matter was that we both respect each other greatly, and in fact, we're friends. We just completely disagreed on one particular issue and uh, weren't afraid to tell each other. <laughs> what is your most memorable experience or your greatest achievement in the Canadian Forces? Whew, that's a tough one. Um, there's been a lot. I'd say probably my most memorable experience was being the LO to the escorts for casualties returning from Afghanistan and having to stand with the families on the tarmac when they carry the, the coffins off the aircraft. Sergeant Prescott Shipway, who was a PPCLI guy who was killed in Afghanistan, I was standing behind his son and his daughter, and his daughter um, looked at her mom and said, but he promised that he'd come home. Uh, and man, you, if you're not bawling at that stage, then uh, there's something wrong with you. Because uh, it, it, was, it was an incredibly emotional moment, and I think that for a guy like me who's been uh, deployed three times, it, that really uh, struck home. I have a daughter of my own, and it, it really struck me that, you know, it's all well and good for me to volunteer to go overseas, but there is a, there is a cost that goes past yourself to those that care about you. And, like, how do you answer that? How do you deal with that? It was, uh, that was probably my most memorable experience. And, of course, the trip down the highway with all the folks standing on the bridges and all that jazz was also uh, incredible and sort of part of that experience. But I, I, I'll never forget that moment, that's for sure. You said you were an LO, but that's a job typically reserved for officers. You weren't commissioned at that time. No, no. At the time, I was a warrant officer, and I was working for uh, Land Force Central Area Troops. They uh, they typically tasked the CIMIC guys with that. There's only a few of them, and they they'd... Uh, uh, by that time, I, I think it was 2007 or 2008. I don't remember the exact year, but I know that at that point, the, the CIMIC guys had done so many that they needed to spread the responsibility around a little bit. I ended up doing that particular task several times. And it was, it was interesting because it was the best, worst job in the Army in that it, it, was, a, it was so terrible an event that the, the emotion of it was was awful but at the same time he had this opportunity you had the honor of seeing these guys off in the the best possible way that you could manage given the resources time and space and all that other jazz that uh, that came with it uh, so that so being in that that position was was a privilege and an honor but at the same time it's not a job I would really wish on anyone because it it, uh, it is so so fraught with with sadness and those both of those jobs, the LO job and the COs that did endless family notifications here in the Toronto area, the north of Highway 7 area, just really stepped up to the task. And it was a behind-the-scenes job. It was a, nevertheless, it had to be done, and it had to be done right. There was no opportunity for mistakes and no opportunity for second chances. 
Yeah, exactly. On the one hand, that was it was nice to be the guy that was trusted with that responsibility. On the other hand, it was it was awful to see these these families in such terrible sorrow, and to see their friends, the escorts, uh, to be just devastated. So so that was difficult, but at the same time, immensely rewarding. Mark McLaren, who was um, a corporal in uh, the RCR and part of an omelet team that had struck an ID and half the team was killed in the in the event had been a HCP before he went to the RCR. And one of the things that we had to do was sort out their dress uniforms uh, before they went into the, the casket, if the family had decided that they were going to be buried in their, their uh, DEU. And in this case, they had. So when I got his uniform, you know, the escorts were supposed to look it over, and of course they did, but a lot of them were young soldiers and not, not necessarily... Uh, they were, certainly weren't focused on that task. Uh, and no one would want them to be. So uh, I would always take a look at them as well. Uh, and at the time, of course, being a war officer with uh, 19 years in, uh, I knew what was supposed to be on there. And then I would just rush down to ASU and pick up whatever accoutrements were, were missing and then slap them on there. So it turns out that the collar dogs are missing from McLaren's uniform. And when I go to stores, they have no RCR one. They do, however, have a set of HCP ones. Uh, or you know what? Actually, it was his shoulder buttons, uh, not his collar dogs. So he has RCR buttons on his front and his pockets and HTP buttons on his shoulders. Oh. And uh, I checked that with the escort and some of their friends, and they thought that that was a very fitting thing to do. So it, that was the rewarding part of it, was having those small opportunities to, to provide a small measure of comfort to his friends and family. But, of course, the having to listen to the family's grieve was, was terrible. Right. So moving on to the next question, who was your greatest influencer? Who's the most memorable character that you've encountered? I know at the Queen's York Rangers, you got a bazillion memorable characters. I think every single one of them is memorable, but nevertheless. Uh, yeah. Um, and and uh, there, there, are, uh, there are a ton. There's a line from Platoon at the end, which, uh, which really resonates because uh, the, the protagonist of the story is, is headed home and he, he says, you know, I often think of myself as a child born of these two fathers. And he talks about the two, the two sergeants that are played by uh, Tom Berenger and uh, Willem Dafoe, who, who, of course, were at, at total odds with each other throughout. But at the same time, both imparted very valuable lessons to him. So I was raised by a lot of really great soldiers. I'd have to say that uh, probably the greatest one for me personally was Grant Lawson, who came to our unit as a warrant officer by way of the Ontars and then eventually became our RSM. And he just very experienced, very professional, very smart, all-around great guy, and always seemed to have just the right kind of advice for you whenever something was happening. Um, not to mention, like, full of great ideas and total commitment to doing what he was supposed to do, which was looking after the, the soldiers of the regiment. Well, he's a regular listener to the podcast, and I speak to him just about once a week ever since he's gotten back from Afghanistan. And Yeah, he's a, he's a good friend of mine. Yeah, he would maybe top a list of, it's tough to pick out one person, because I can think of three or four other guys that, particularly when I was younger and learning my trade, really taught me a lot. Uh, some of whom, most of whom are not in the military anymore, but uh, one or two who are. So. Yeah. What is the greatest challenge you had to overcome? I mean, you already went into depth with your LO experience, which appears to be a great challenge, but you brought that up as a memorable experience. What is the greatest challenge? Uh, I think my greatest challenge was um, managing the expectations of my soldiers on my last appointment. I was part of an omelet team, so I was in the position of a company sergeant major for, uh, 
different omelet team for the third Kandak of 205 Corps based out of Old Corps in Kandahar City, Afghanistan. And I had a team of four, four privates and three corporals. Two of the corporals were very recently promoted and they'd all been on Task Force 308, so this was Task Force 110, and had been deployed into Panjway, and so I'd seen lots of contact. And there, there was a sense of entitlement there that, I, that I'd never encountered before and that I'd never really been trained or experienced to deal with because they, these guys just discounted everyone else's experience unless you'd had exactly the same experience as, uh, as these guys. That was really, really challenging, and, and I'm not sure that I did it as well as I maybe could have. Uh, so that was definitely that was a really big challenge for me because it was an eight-month deployment, and it was tough to manage these guys. Uh, I had a, a few things against me, a reserve warrant officer who uh, doesn't look like he's very old <laughs> with a, a, a mishmash of guys from the Royal Canadian Dragoons, a couple of reserve regiments, and the RCR. It was tough to establish credibility, and it was even tougher to maintain it because I had a couple guys who, like I said, just they weren't, they weren't listening, and uh, they, they, they discounted you automatically if you weren't part of their battalion the, on the first go-around. Right. So that was, that was really challenging. So that comes to the end of the four questions. Is, I, I know you're recently commissioned. Is there anything you're working on right now? Anything, any projects coming up? <laughs> Getting better at paperwork. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's been an interesting transition. The expectations are quite a bit different, and it's tough to sublimate the, the senior NCO and just focus on what officers are supposed to focus on. Uh, no, I'm just focusing on training my troop and making sure that the OC is happy. Well, I always know that whenever I was assigned to a job and you were part of the team with me, I knew that we'd enjoy lots of success. And, and that goes the same with this podcast here. So thank you very much for taking the time to be a guest on the podcast. And hopefully uh, we can look forward to some more Queens York Rangers coming my way. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, thanks a lot for having me. You're welcome. Take care. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at cmhp at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian Military History Podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. End tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.